In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, this is a sermon for control freaks. Uh, that's the name of the sermon, a sermon for control freaks. Now, you may not think that you are a control freak, but it's highly likely that you like to be in control. In other words, you just like for things to go your way. I imagine you like to think, well, if I do this, then this is going to happen. And if I don't do that, then that's probably not going to happen. And in, even if you do not self-identify as a control freak, uh, I bet there's something in the sermon that will hit home for you. Now, many, 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 many of you will readily admit that you are a control freak. Uh, or you certainly have somebody in your life who will happily diagnose you as a control freak. Um, you will also admit that having to be in control just feeds your anxiety and your uptightness. It makes your life miserable. Uh, but your need for control is just so great that you just can't let go and, and relax. Now, for those keeping score, here are some symptoms of a control freak, in case you're wondering about yourself. Uh, why not see if you can check a few boxes? One, control freaks have a tendency to correct people. Two, they refuse to admit that they're wrong. Three, they tend to be judgmental and critical about other people. Four, control freaks think that they always know what's best for a situation, any situation at all. Five, they want to slash need to win all arguments. And then six, control freaks think they are responsible for everything, including and especially other people, the other people in their lives. Now, any bells rung for anybody? Any bells rung for the person sitting next to you, even though they might claim not to have heard a bell? Now, trying to control things can lead to some, shall we say, interesting situations. When I was in Birmingham uh, at the Cathedral Church of the Advent, one of my tasks was being the chaplain to the day school there, Episcopal Day School. And my mentor, uh, beloved Paul Zoll, was the dean of the cathedral, and he'd hired me, and I was still a little kind of starstruck by him and this huge, beautiful cathedral and all these people. Uh, and at the beginning of, of my first day of work, I was to lead a flag-raising ceremony outside the cathedral for the day school kids. Now, the Advent is in the middle of very busy downtown Birmingham. Uh, and as I was about to begin the flag-raising ceremony to begin the school year, I was all dolled up in my, like, Episcopal togs outside. A Cisco truck pulled up to deliver food uh, to the Tutwiler Hotel right across the street. Now, of course, the driver left the truck running to keep the food refrigerated, otherwise it would spoil, but the idling semi-truck... Uh, made a lot of noise, of course. Now, Paul, who readily admits his propensity to control things, told me there, he looked at me and said, go inside the Tutwiler, find the driver, and ask him to turn his truck off so we can do the flag raising ceremony. Now, I was new. I really wanted to please my boss, and I said something like, wait, what? You want me to go to the delivery dock find the very big, burly Birmingham truck driver 
and ask him to turn his truck off for a bunch of fourth graders to watch a flag go up a pole while I'm dressed in my tutu. Uh, I was, in the end, more afraid of the truck driver than in my new boss, so I did not comply with his request. Now, to some degree, the greedy desire for control is an infection shared by all people everywhere. And that's because the locus of original sin is summed up in the certain serpent's words to our first parents. Eat this fruit and you will be like God. Now, God is the only one to whom control and all its concomitant responsibilities uh, belongs. So whether or not you identify as a control freak, you are certainly on the spectrum, shall we say, and that's because you are both an inheritor as well as a purveyor of our universally flawed human nature trying to be like God. So to all of us, then, Jesus has this to say today. The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. Now, what do we have here? Well, first someone scattered seeds. Now, I'm no farmer, but I'm pretty sure that you're supposed to plant seeds in the ground that has already been tilled or furrowed or cultivated or something. Um, we scattered some grass seeds a while ago, and not very well, I'm afraid, because the patch of ground now looks like a bad hair transplant that's gone wrong. We've done plenty of sleeping and rising, but the sprouting and the growing has been spasmodic. But then again, that's in the kingdom of Paul. Jesus, on the other hand, is talking about the kingdom of God. Things are apparently different in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, scattered seed scattered where everywhere is plenty good for sprouting and growing. And note that the scatterer doesn't do a blessed thing except tuck himself into bed at night and get up in the morning to put his coffee pot on. There's no tilling. There's no weeding. There's no watering. There's no worrying. There's no nothing. Just sleeping and rising. And I suppose having a periodic look at the crop. Now, how does that sound in life if you were to transfer that, the kingdom of God, to your kingdom? How does the seed sprout without any, put, any input from the, the scatterer whatsoever? Well, the, the answer uh, to that may be the very best line in the Bible. He does not know how. I don't know. I don't know how it got from seed that I just happened to scatter up into a full grain, head of grain. Now, um, he does not know how. It's pretty hard to control something that you have no idea about, isn't it? Um, it doesn't stop you from trying, but you can't really do it. However, as Jesus says, the earth produces of itself. In other words, God does the work by himself, without your help, without your input. 
I'll just ask you, what's going on in your life right now that you are trying to control and you can't? Look for the touchstone of the place of anxiety and worry and you will find the answer. If we are to trust the scripture today, then we can say with confidence that God's got that. God's got this. Who are you worried about? God's got that person. What problem or project or, or situation are you trying to overanalyze, overplan, overdo? God's got that too. The earth produces of itself. What would it be like to trust God like that? Trust that God has your life. God's got you and the lives of everybody and everything else. This is what the Scripture says. To be fair, Jesus says that God does grab his sickle when the harvest comes, but that's the fun part. It's nice to be engaged in the harvest that you didn't grow. You're just out there having fun, reaping in the harvest. What would it be like, though, just to, to trust in that way, the way that Jesus talks about the musician and author Nick Cave has a blog in which he responds to his fans' uh, questions. And one guy was wrapped around the axle about turning 40. And he said some people told him he was in his prime, and other people said, like, dude, you're getting long in the tooth and getting over the hill. So he asked Nick how to cope with getting old. And uh, Nick, whose sort of heyday was in the 80s as a musician, said this, my advice to you is grow a mustache, and learn the electric guitar and try to hang in there till you're 60. Then you'll find you don't have to worry about what people say anymore. And as a consequence, life becomes a whole lot more interesting. Entering your 60s brings with it a warm and fuzzy feeling of redundancy through obsolescence, through living outside of the conversation and forever existing on the wrong end of the stick. What a relief to be that mad, embarrassing uncle in the corner of the room with his belief in universal compassion, forgiveness, and mercy, in beautiful humanity, and in God, too. Sounds good, doesn't it? Universal compassion, forgiveness, mercy, sound a lot, whole lot better actually a whole lot easier than correcting, judging, winning, being a know-it-all all the time. But you know what? You don't have to be in your 60s to give up on the control game, to have it taken away from you, maybe, is a better way to say it. I mean, Jesus knew all about it, and he barely made it past 30. Well, the reason he barely made it past 30 is that the control freaks killed him. Those who controlled the religious and the political and social hierarchy hated his cavalier ways. They killed him. But before we blame them, remember the them is also us. I mean, we are all inheritors and purveyors of our universally flawed and controlling human nature. But Jesus died for the control freaks. The only one who rightly could claim control surrendered that control for us, surrendered it all on the cross. 
he surrendered for we who have wrongly usurped that control in this life. The irony there is both supreme and grotesque, and yet there it is. But as Robert Capon says, God has solved all the world's problems without requiring a single human being to do a single thing. The earth produces of itself. Because our desire for control will persist, um, that will never be the way it works totally in our kingdom. But, my friends, that is and always will be the way it works in the kingdom of God. Amen.